I just want to talk about uh, how Centurious started, um, our first fund, uh, the journey, the 25-year journey uh, through to where we are today, um, and a little about what we're seeing on the ground at the moment in the different sectors, and how we're going to take advantage of the current environment. So um, I moved over from New Zealand straight out of university in, in 1996, and I started, my first job was for a company called Hanover Property Group. And what they were um, called in the industry were the property doctors. So what we did was we're a consulting firm that sorted out problem property um, that was a result of the 1990s crash. So if you think about the 1990s, we had interest rates over 17%. Uh, we had unemployment over 11%. Uh, office vacancy rates were over 20%. So it was a pretty dire uh, situation. Uh, back then, most of the owners were either insurance companies um, or privates, basically. Um, so what would happen is if a bank was going to foreclose on a particular owner, before they did that, they'd bring in Hanover, we'd come in and try and sort out the asset. It might be an empty office building, it might be a half-built industrial estate, um, and we'd use, uh, use the team to, to lease it up, sell it, um, and, uh, and sort out the issue. Um, in 1998, um, John McBain and his partner split. I went with John. Um, and we're going to build out the consulting company. Um, I think there was John and myself. John's wife was the accountant. We had a property manager and a receptionist. So there's five of us. Um, at the time, you'd all know Goodman, which is the $80 billion um, global logistics asset manager. Um, you know, probably one of the most successful in the world. Um, back then, they probably had about $80 million of older sheds in South Sydney. And there were a couple of Kiwis set that up, Greg Goodman and Duncan Hardy, and it was called Goodman Hardy back then. Uh, we were friends with them. They were fellow Kiwis in the property sector, and um, we'd go over a beer with them on a Friday night. Anyway, we just started up our new business, and they said, look, we've got a little project for you. Uh, we've got a little shopping centre out in Minchinbury, which is in the western suburbs of Sydney. Uh, we bought it from a bank that had foreclosed. Uh, we want to lease it up and, and sell it. And that can be your sort of first job in this new business that, that John and I were running. So off we went. Um, you know, it was a tough one. It was, there was not one named tenant in the, built, in the uh, centre. It was an older style centre. It was uh, red brick, two-level walk-up. Um, and, you know, we, we did a great job. We got it leased up and we took it to market to sell it. Um, we did a full campaign and there was one buyer. And funnily enough, he was an accountant from Brisbane. And what he wanted to do was syndicate it for high net worths. He'd never done a syndicate before, um, but um, he had this plan. Now, there's a big fee in it for us, and you know, we had a new business, so we, we gave him a lot of help. So we helped him write his IM, we introduced him to a lot of capital in Sydney, and it came time for him to go unconditional, and he hadn't raised the money. So we had to go and see Greg and um, Duncan and ask for an extension for a couple of months, and they gave it. Two months later, still hadn't raised the money. So we went back, they reluctantly agreed to another extension and, uh, and uh, the equity raising continued. Anyway, two months later, still no equity. So we went back to Duncan and Greg and we said, look, um, this guy hasn't raised it, he's getting close, but uh, he's not quite there, he needs another extension. Anyway, they said, there's no way we're giving him one. And we're like, oh no, there goes our fee. Um, but they said, have you got a dollar? And back then it was when you carried you know, some coins around and, and John and I remember gave Greg a dollar he said, you guys have got a three-month option. You go syndicate it yourselves. And um, off we went. So we had to raise $3.3 million. It was a $9.5 million purchase. Um, the property was returning 14%. And back in those days, you had uh, tax-free percentages. So 160% of your income was tax-free. 
So all your income from the property is tax-free and then you could um, allocate some of your other income to it as well. So it sounds like pretty good metrics, but it took every day of those three months to raise that money and we, ju we just got there. And that was our first fund and, and how we started out. And then if you fast forward to today, um, it's obviously come a long way. So we had our 25th year anniversary in September of this year. Um, you know, um, as was mentioned, we're now $21 billion of assets. Uh, we've got four listed entities. We've got 125 different unlisted funds, uh, 430 different assets, two and a half thousand tenants, um, and a team of 420 across eight offices. And uh, this graph on the right just shows you the journey um, over those 25 years, how we started off with nothing and, and got to that 21 billion. And it's been a mix of organic and M&A. So we've bought a lot of assets along the way. And we also had a really um, you know, focused strategy of diversifying into um, asset sectors along, along the way um, to diversify the portfolio. So where we started after that retail asset, that first asset, uh, we mainly concentrated on office, and we, we really only did office up to 2017. Um, in 2017, we bought a platform called 360 Capital, which gave us a small industrial REIT. Um, a couple of years later, we bought Heathley, which was a healthcare real estate manager. Uh, we then went into New Zealand and bought their largest unlisted platform that got us into some retail as well. Um, and then we bought Prime West, which is a which was a $5 billion asset manager out of Perth. And that got us into neighborhood retail, large format retail, and ag. And probably the final piece of the puzzle was Bass Capital, which is a real estate um, non-bank lender, uh, which we've, we've owned for about three years. Um, so it's a very well diversified platform now. We're in seven different sectors. Um, the, the, the timeline on the, on the left-hand side of this is, is quite interesting. You know, we, we get a lot of our team, especially the younger, uh, team members saying, oh, look, it's such a tough environment, um, you know, to raise money or to grow. Um, and I think we just set this out. We just showed you, showed all the issues over the last 25 years and global events. And there's always something in financial services. There's always something happening around the world to make your job a bit harder. You know, you look at 2000, we had dot-com crash. Uh, 2001, we had 9-11. We had GFC in 08. Uh, Greek debt crisis in 2010. Uh, bond market spike in 18, COVID, um, and the list goes on. So there's always, there are always excuses, there's always issues, but we've managed to grow that platform over those 25 years um, and continue to deliver you know, very attractive returns to, to our investors. Um, where the platform sits right now, this is the breakup. So of the 21 billion, one third is in our listed entities. So that's mainly um, COF, which is our office REIT, and, and SIP, which is our industrial REIT, both listed in Australia. We also have a small uh, listed read in New Zealand. And then two thirds of the platform is unlisted. So that's retail investors, high net worth investors and institutional investors. Um, a couple of uh, things that make our platform a little bit special um, and where we're different to some of our peers, we have a very hands-on active management team. So, um, We've always done this since we started. We have the facility managers in-house, we have the property managers in-house, asset management, leasing, development management are all part of our team. A lot of our competitors would outsource this to a Jones Lang or CDRE or Knight Frank, um, but we think we get better results by having that in-house. You know, our facility managers are on, on the ground in the asset talking to tenants every day. Our property managers are meeting them every week. We're, we're finding out what they do and don't like about a building. Do they need more space, less space? 
Um, so I think we get better property outcomes. So I think we get better retention rates um, and we just have stronger relationships with those tenants firsthand. Um, we co-invest alongside our investor clients. Uh, we've got close to a billion dollars invested now across our listed and unlisted platforms. So there's really strong alignment um, with, our, with our clients. The split of the portfolio now across those seven sectors is, um, is up on the, on the screen now. So it's, office is still our largest sector, it's seven billion. Uh, industrial, six billion. Uh, Four billion of that is in our industrial REIT and two billion is in the unlisted funds. We have daily needs retail, which is neighborhood shopping centers. Uh, $1.7 billion healthcare business. Uh, large format re retail, it's over one and a half billion. We're now, we actually just hit one and a half billion of real estate credit. And ag, which is probably our newest sector and growing very quickly is just, just broken through 500 million. There's two things we've been focused on on the diversification strategy. One is obviously sectors, uh, but also capital. Um, so if you look at this, this slide um, on the left, we have a number of different sorts of funds. We have the listed, we have unlisted single funds is where we started, one asset into one fund and we have unlisted multi-fund, um, unlisted multi-asset funds as well. And then probably something we've been focused on more recently is institutional capital. So uh, the last three years we've been uh, talking to a lot of offshore investors, um, these are large global groups, um, and you know, convincing them to invest into different sectors with us. So where we sit today is we've got two mandates with GIC, which is the Singapore government. We have two joint ventures with Morgan Stanley out of the US. Uh, we have um, one-off uh, deals with BlackRock, who's the biggest fund manager in the world, over 10 trillion of assets. And we announced two weeks ago that we just signed a deal with Starwood, which is a very large um, global asset manager based, based in the US. So you'll see that institutional part of the business continue to grow. Um, ge geographically wise, you know, we're spread all the way around Australia, and we've also got about 12% of our portfolio based in New Zealand. Um, so looking at the platform now, obviously, you know, everyone will be reading a lot of press about real estate. Um, there's not a lot of negative news out there, um, but it's actually um, far from dire. So if you look at the platform now, uh, we've got 97% occupancy across those 430 assets. Um, and if you think about a third of the portfolio's office, um, you know, that's a really good stat. Also, probably we've had probably the lowest arrears we've ever had in the portfolio for the last six months running. Um, so the actual metrics around the real estate portfolio um, are very strong. We've got a whale of over six years, an average whale, um, and we've actually done 550,000 metres of leasing in that portfolio over the last 12 months. So there's a lot of leasing happening in, across all the different sectors. So I want to talk about the sectors we're involved with and, and, and what's happening on the ground um, in this environment. Now, office is definitely the one that's garnering the most press. Um, if you read the AFR, which I'm sure most of you do, you'd think every office building was half full and was about to half in value. Um, but it, it's actually very different. Um, if you look at our um, office REIT, which has got 25 you know, high quality office buildings in it, vacancies running at 3%. Across the entire office portfolio, which is 90 assets, including many in New Zealand, which is a tougher market, we've only got 6% vacancy. Um, we're starting to see rental growth in, in a lot of locations. Um, if you look at that the bottom right graph, that shows net absorption. So basically tenant demand in a lot of different locations. Um, Brisbane's actually been the standout. Brisbane Fringe has been the strongest market 
in Australia for some time, but Brisbane CBD is number three. Um, so we've got a lot of exposure to those markets as well as Perth CBD, uh, Melbourne Fringe, Canberra um, and others. Uh, one, you know, one area we're not uh, invested in are the Sydney and Melbourne CBDs and they've definitely been the hardest markets over, over the last 18 months. Um, since COVID kicked off um, across the office portfolio, we've leased nearly 300,000 square metres. So people are making decisions. People are actually signing up to leases. Um, it's definitely not as bad as the press makes out. We did a survey of all our office tenants uh, eight weeks ago, and some of the results were actually really surprising. So one of the questions was, um, what are your intentions uh, for your future office needs is when your lease comes up, less space, same or more. 75% of our tenant base said the same or more. So you know, it's very different um, to, to, to what you read about. Um, a lot of the really negative sentiment on office is coming out of the States. And we sent our head of office up to uh, the US uh, two months ago to do a tour around the country to talk to um, office and industrial owners and tenants just to see what's happening on the ground up there. It was really interesting. They came back, head of office and head of industrial, and what was what shocked them the most was how bad office is up there. Um, and because it's so bad up there, a lot of the global investment investors based in the um, US have very strong feelings against office globally. Um, but it's a very different market to say Asia or Australia. So up there, um, in Australia, we have 1.15 square metres of office space per head of population. In the US, they have 1.6. So they've got 40% more office space uh, in the US per head of population than, than we do down here. As in most sectors up there, because planning controls are very lax, um, it, most sectors have been overbuilt. Happened in retail and it's, and it's happened in office. A lot of their stock is older. So if you look at like a city like New York, um, a large percentage of that stock is 60 to 80 years old. So very hard to get to perform you know, in terms of ESG um, and the like. So you know, obviously reduces demand. Um, when we do get some of these global investors down into, you know, through Singapore and down into Australia, they're actually quite astounded at how busy our CBDs are. You know, they come to our office in, in Sydney. Uh, there's a queue for the lifts in the morning. There's a queue for the cafe the whole day round. Um, so we need to get more of them down and more of them to understand that it's a bit of a two-tiered sector US and parts of Europe versus Asia and Australia. And that, that, until that happens, I, don't, I think it's gonna take a little bit of time for that sentiment to change. Look, industrial, this is you know, probably the hottest sector um, at the moment, and it's been very, very strong since COVID. Um, we're one of the biggest owners of industrial in Australia and New Zealand with 6 billion. We've got 180 industrial assets. So that's probably more than anyone. So we really do have probably the best intel of tenant demand, incentive levels, um, you know, rent growth, and, and in a lot of markets around uh, around the country. Um, some stats that we're seeing: uh, we've got the lowest vacancy in the world in Australia at 0.6 of a percent. So it's basically as low as you can ever get. There's always someone moving, and there's you know there's one or two sheds empty. And what this is doing is driving huge rental growth. We're seeing it around the world. Um, it started in COVID with the move to online retail, driving demand for infill logistics. You know, online retail needs sheds, usually closer to the population to be able to deliver to, to um, consumers. Um, in our 
uh, industrial REIT. So for the first half of 2023, we're reporting leasing spreads of 19%. So what that means is any leases that came up in that period, when we released it to the, to the exist, existing tenant or to a new tenant, the average increase was 19% on the old rent. For the second six months of 2023, it was 37%. For last quarter, we just announced it was 48%. So someone paying a million dollars, lease comes up, the next day they pay $1.5 million. Um, so it's huge growth in rents. Um, so there's a lot of money pouring into the sector. Um, it's, there's still a lot of tailwinds for the Australian market. Um, we have about four square metres per head of population of industrial um, throughout Australia. It's one of the lowest in the developed world. So forecast is it will go to 5.5 square metres in a very short period. If you look at online retail, um, Australia is about 12.6% of its retails online. Look at the UK, it's 26%. So as we get closer to some of those countries, um, the demand for industrial is just going to continue. Uh, supply is very difficult. Uh, we're focused on the infill location, so closer to the city, there's no land. Um, you're starting to see multi-level developments, but most of the developments you know, on the outer rings of the cities uh, where there's more land, and that's where you see the big D and Cs. But we're seeing huge rental growth because we're in these supply-constrained areas. Second thing is costs. You know, construction costs across all sectors have increased dramatically. Uh, it's meaning a lot of developments just don't get off the ground. Um, and the other thing is, particularly in Sydney, infrastructure. The government just hasn't been able to service these outer uh, rings of land, which has delayed a lot of industrial development, particularly out towards the second airport in, in Sydney. Um, one more interesting stat actually is Amazon. Amazon was, you know, came to Australia more recently. Um, if you look at the US, um, Amazon's got one square metre of industrial space per head of population up there. In Australia, they've got 0.15. So there's huge room for growth uh, in the Australian market. And you'll continue to see them roll out uh, more and more sheds. Uh, we know of the five sheds they've got in the market at the moment, they will double that over the next two years and probably double it again. Um, so there's some real tailwinds in this sector. Um, retail, we specialise in neighbourhood and large format retail. Neighbourhood, again, through COVID was very strong. You know, most of the income does come from, you know, Coles or Woolies or an Aldi lease. Um, it was non-discretionary. They held up very well through COVID. Um, even though you've seen a lot of the institutional listed investors um, struggle to obviously raise equity and, and grow and, and transact, what you, do, what you are seeing in the neighbourhood um, sector is... Uh, privates step in. So most of these assets are 50 million and below. So you're seeing a lot of high net worth privates take up where the, where the instos were. Um, on the large format side, um, we're starting to see significant rental growth. Again, they did well through COVID. There's very limited supply. Um, there's hardly any new centres being constructed. And so I think in the last, uh, last half, we saw rental growth in our large format portfolio about 12%. You know, large formats traditionally had very low rents. There's, you know, there's a small group of uh, tenants that really um, are your main anchors in those sorts of centres and they've sort of kept those rents down. But as they're trying to struggle for growth and they've got limited supply options, you're seeing them now starting to pay up to expand in these centres, which is, which is great for that sector. Some of the alternatives that we've got into more recently, healthcare, um, obviously very strong you know, demographic data, but you know, backing this um, sector. 
Uh, we're about $1.7 billion in it. The main thematic that we have, we have backed in healthcare is short-stay hospitals. So traditionally, Australia's had the old, very large hospitals. You go in for a hip replacement, you know, you're in there for eight or nine days, you do your rehab in the hospital. It's a very expensive way of doing it. Um, US, you've got 10,000 short-stay hospitals. Smaller hospitals, you're in and out a lot quicker. You might be in for one night, do a lot of rehab at home. The insurance companies obviously prefer the short-stay model. It's a lot cheaper way to, to administer healthcare. Um, we've only got a handful of proper short-stay hospitals in Australia. So we're developing those out. Um, for example, we're building a couple with Medibank at the moment. So Medibank, obviously largest health insurer in Australia, they want to bring costs down. So what they're doing is partnering with doctors to actually operate hospitals. So we're building a hospital in queue for them at the moment, where Medibank's partnered with 47 surgeons to be the tenant in that hospital. So you'll see us building more and more of those sort of smaller style hospitals throughout the country. Uh, real estate credit, um, again, a very, very strong sector at the moment. What we're seeing as banks uh, tighten up their lending, um, it's meaning a lot of borrowers have to look elsewhere for finance. Um, yeah, you would have read about the non-bank lender, uh, the non-bank lenders um, in the sector. It's something that's growing incredibly quickly. We bought 50% of a credit business three years ago, and you know we just announced we got to $1.5 billion of loans. Um, so these are, in the main, first mortgages to developers that might have a block of land, might have residual stock. Um, we're actually doing very little construction finance. So we're taking a lot of risk out of these transactions. And you know we, we're putting these out to clients at 10 to 10.5% for a first mortgage, 60% um, geared, really high quality um, real estate. And they're shorter term, they're usually 12 to 18 months. So a lot of the high net worth clients really like investing in, in this sort of product. Um, and ag, so ag is probably our, um, our latest sector. Um, when we bought the Prime West platform, they did have an ag team. Um, and we thought it was a sector that we could see a lot of growth in. So we set up a new open-ended uh, ag fund and we focused originally on buying some of the highest quality and largest glass houses around the country. So the first glass house we bought was in Warrigal, just outside Melbourne. It's 33 hectares under glass. So to put that in perspective, that's eight MCGs covered up in glass. Um, most of these glass houses grow tomatoes uh, for the coals and, and woolies, and usually they have fantastic offtake agreements from the, the big retailers. Um, they're extremely high tech. Um, the families operating a lot of these in the business have been going for 40 or 50 years. Um, you know, what, what, when you walk into it, it's like a science experiment. It's amazing um, the technology that's in there. Um, and to give you an example, in a field, you grow about three and a half kilos of tomatoes per year per square meter. In a glass house, you grow 85 kilos of tomatoes per year per square meter. So there's huge efficiencies, 90% less water, the water comes off the roof. Um, you know, the, the wastage in a field is about 30% and a glass house is about 2%. So uh, that's something you'll see us you know, grow further and further into. Um, FY24, obviously it's, it's a tougher environment, um, but the platform is, is on a very strong footing. You know, we've spent the last eight years getting to scale, getting over that sort of 20, 20 billion of assets and diversing across sectors, geographies um, and capital pools. Um, you know, we've been expanding out that mandate business with institutional investors. Um, the Starwood mandate was our latest and there, there will be more there, which is great. Uh, the credit business is growing very strong. Um, yeah, and as a platform, if you look at our two REITs, you know, CIF is, get, is, is occupied 99% and 
and the office rate at 97%. So uh, those metrics are pretty good. Now look, obviously it is a tougher environment. Um, transactions are down 75% on last year and last year was a softer year than the year before. Um, capital's either sitting on its hands, waiting for probably stabilization of interest rates, inflation. Um, a lot of the global investors are sitting on you know, vast sums of cash and those that want to invest into Asia probably have two main choices, which is Japan and Australia. So there's a lot of demand, it's just when they press the button. Um, you know, what we're seeing at the moment is um, obviously as interest rates um, increase, um, issues around covenants with banks for, for certain um, owners. Um, so what we're looking at is how do we take advantage of this environment? And we've just launched a new product, which is called Centurion Select Opportunities Fund. And what we're doing here is um, looking to invest across all seven sectors that we invest into, um, including credit. Uh, we're gonna have a 15% target return. And this graph sort of shows where we think we can identify opportunities. Obviously we've got macro headwinds with interest rate rises, liquidity constraints, you know, capital requirements, but there's a lot of tailwinds across the property sector. Um, we've still got you know, good demand on the leasing side for quality assets. Um, inflation pressures can be good for real estate. You know? It drives up construction costs, which means a lot of developments don't get off the ground, which means less supply, which means tenant demand and, and rental increases. And you're seeing that across most sectors. Um, you know, if you look at forecasts in, say, C uh, Sydney office, you know, the, it, the forecasts are there'd be no completions in 2026, 2027, which hasn't happened since the 1970s. So once that you know, takes hold, there's not, there's not the supply that would usually come into the market. You see the vacancy get taken up and then you start to see more and more rental growth. Um, we've got population growth. We all know there's you know, half a million people coming into the country. This drives, this drives demand for all sorts of real estate, obviously from, from office through to industrial and retail as well. And so the acquisition opportunities we think are gonna be um, probably around three main themes, probably distressed sellers, not distressed uh, real estate, non-core asset sales, and strategic recapitalization. So what you're seeing is there's a lot of groups that have committed development pipelines. So some of the large listed groups might have committed to a five or $10 billion development pipeline that they've kicked off and they've got to fund. Normally they'd fund that through the uh, equity capital markets, they'd go and raise that money through, through Morgans um, and, 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 and um, finish off the developments. They can't do that when they're trading at these massive discounts. So they either got to take on more debt, and debt's a focus in the listed markets at the moment, or they've got to sell assets. Um, so you're seeing a lot of these groups uh, put a non-core list together of assets that they want to dispose of, and they're needing to dispose of them at discounts. And over the last 25 years, we've picked up a lot of non-core assets off large groups and done very well out of them. So you th I think you'll see us uh, doing that. There'll also, also be uh, owners that do struggle with their, their banks. Um, you know, on our platform, we've got 24 different banks. So we've got really well diversified base across Australia, um, Asia, Europe, and the States. They're very supportive. However, if you're a smaller developer or you're a one-off owner or you're a foreign owner that's not actively managing their asset, you might be starting to breach your interest cover ratios and the like. Um, there'll be, there will be some forced selling. We thought this distress would come sooner. Uh, we've sort of been working this fund up for the last six months, but we're now actually starting to see value come through. Um, structure wise, it's gonna be structured more like a, a private equity 
um, structure where um, we'll have an original commitment. So we we're um, talking to investors this month, we're going to open up this fund on the 30th of November for applications and close it two weeks later. Um, as I said, we have a 15% target IRR. Um, you put 10% of your commitment up front. Uh, there'll be a 15 month deployment period for us to go and look at these, um, find these opportunities. So we'll have each of our six specific teams concentrating on finding the best opportunities. Um, and then that will be drawn down over the 15 months as we find the opportunities. And there'll be a five year uh, period to manage the assets, sell them, add value and sell them and, and get the funds back to investors. We, it's a co-investment model. So Centurion is committed to putting $20 million of its own capital in. Um, and then we'll, we'll bring in investors to co-invest alongside us. Um, so look, we think it's a, we're quite excited about this. We think there's a huge opportunity out there. We're just starting to see this value come through and we think um, you know, we'll be able to build out this fund over the next 15 months with some pretty exciting um, opportunities. Thank you.